Matthew Mark podcast show presents the story he wrote that has over 1,705 views so far on his Ghostman blogger site. And here's the story that I posted. Stoner sheep get the munchies after feasting on four caves worth of cannabis bars. A flock of sheep that are about to meet the maker in a motorhome got high in the cannabis plants worth £4,000 after the drugs were ditched in Surrey Field. My sheep weren't quite on their back, so their legs are here. They probably had the munchies. Farm manager Nelly Budd told local rail Surrey, Surrey Mirror. They hadn't had any side effects, but I'll tell you about the, about the meat next week. A stash of marijuana plants with each roughly three foot tall were dumped at the edge of the Fanny's farm in Middle mid, mid, Edge Lane. A paper boarded bus shop was just 200 yards from the drug, drugs were five tipped apparently. Please told Bud that the cannabis had a street worth, only worth of 4,000. She added, My sheep being inquisitive had an interesting feast on it. She said, At first I thought it was something. Someone's hedgehog rubbish. I went to get the bags so the sheep wasn't eating black plastic. But when I got there, I realised that it was a form of herbal cannabis plant. They were very strong in scent. Bud said she puzzled by how plants came into the meat in the field. I speculated that someone should have made a detour off the highway to offload the drugs. The stone sheep, meanwhile, answered me wandering around really slowly. I'm feeling a bit, tad bit paranoid. I'm searching for a massive chocolate bar and a family-sized bag of crisps, man. You've been listening to the Holsey Mark Podcast Show, and this is his most popular ever post on Blogger. Holsey Mark Podcast Show, talking about one of his favourite quirky series that he's re-watching again currently at this moment. Due South. Available on uh, Chew Entertainment at the moment. Please watch it again. It's a fantastic series. Right, we watched it because we liked the dog, Diefenbecker, and the, the um, interaction between Benton and the um, Raymond and the and the stories that were quirky. Anyway, here it is. Due South is a Canadian crime series with elements of comedy. The series was created by Paul Hagers, produced by Alice Alliance Communications, and stars Paul Gross, David Manchurio, Gordon Prescott, Bo Starr, Catherine Braver, Camilla Scott, Romana Maleo, and latterly, Colonel Keith Rennie. It ran for 67 episodes over four seasons from 1994 to 1999. Set in Chicago, the show follows the adventures of Constable Brenton Fraser, Paul Goss, an officer of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, RCMP, who is attached to the Canadian consulate and works with Detective Raymond Vecchio, David Marcio. Of the Chicago Police Department solve crimes 
assisted by Fraser's companion, Dieffenbecker, a deaf white wolf. From season three, Fraser works with a detective standing in conflicts, Callum Keith Rennie, who is placed in the department to impersonate Detective Becco, who goes on an uncover assignment. Purpose of which such a working relationship established in the plot episode when Fraser requests to be posted to Chicago to ensure that the Chicago police follow his leads in the investigation of the murder of his father's. Fraser's father, while he's still in a highly probability of catching the killer, meets the detective Becco, Becco, the officer assigned to the case, who has initially dismissed said case as he meets Fraser. Process of an investigation. Fraser also poses an environmental corruption scandal involving some members of the RCMP, causing much embarrassment and loss of jobs in his native Northwest Territories, which leaves him personal, personal non grata in Canada and with the RS, RCMP and posted permanently to Chicago. A police step comedy drama, Juice Tower plays on the stereotypical differences between Canada and American culture, particularly Fraser's exceptional plight persona, exceptional tracking and detection abilities, contrast with Detective Vecco's lack of manners and corner-cutting methods. History. Jude South originally debuted as a television movie on CTV, CTV in Canada. And CBS in, in the United States. After then, after then higher, after higher than the British ratings, Juice South has turned into a continuing drama series in 1994, with the first Canadian main series to make a prime time slot in a new, on a major US network. However, CBS moved its time slot curiously after its first season and even preempted it with other programs, so maintaining an audience was a challenge. After a 24 episode first season, CBS cancelled the series, but the show's success in Canada and the United Kingdom enabled the production company to raise enough money to mount a second 18 episode season, which ran from 1995 to 1996. The show was once again shown on CBS in late 1995. After many full shows have failed, CBS ordered an additional five episodes. But will cost only four of them. But the CBS did not CBS did not renew the series. After one year hiatus, CTV revived the series in 1997 with international investment for BBC ProSat Sat One, Media MG TF One. It ran for two further seasons till 1999. In a season of syndication. Despite critical acclaim and constantly warm reception by American audiences, Jew South then became a huge hit in the United States. However, it was one of the most highly rated regulars series ever broadcast by Canadian Canadian Network. The show remains popular in the United Kingdom, became one of the few non British shows at prime time weekend slots on BBC One. In the UK, Jew South was broadcast on Tuesdays from May 1st, 1995. Earning critical claim of comparisons to Northern Exposure and ratings of over 8 million to a switch in June to Fridays, which falls in the schedule in July and turned to Tuesdays in September. Season 2 was broadcast on Saturday nights from July 27, 1996, and fared family well, 
but called for a schedule in October with five episodes of seasons remaining. It was shown in January 1997. The BBC co-financed the first season, but struggled to find a suitable slot on the Saturday night for it. And only five episodes of the series were shown in May and June 1998, and made in daytime slots over Christmas 1998. Our final season broadcast from May to November 1999 was moved to BBC Two and constantly performed well, with ratings of over 2 million viewers regularly appearing in the top 10 weekly shows for the channel. Once the end, upon the end of the series 1999, BBC Two immediately began to screen repeats. The series has been also rescreened on ITV in 2006, and again on BBC Two from October 18, 2015. The rerun on digital channel True Entertainment going on October 10, 2014, with a pilot of regular series episodes featuring on weekdays from October 13. Show Overview Story Overview, sorry. The premise of the series centers on Royal Mounted, Royal Canadian Mounted Police Constable named Brenton, Brenton Fraser, who travels to Cargo to solve the murder of his father. This is how he meets his soon-to-be partner, Ray Vecchio, a tough streetwise cop, accompanied by his deaf-lipped, reading heart wolf, Defebega, who Fraser adopted after Defebega saved his life. The investigation leads Fraser to undercover plot of a company building, a dam that is slowly killing the environment. This leads to the dam being shut down and many people losing their jobs. It also implicates corrupt members of the RCMP in the affair. This, this long ago with the loss of so many people's jobs makes him a person of own character in Canada. He finds himself stationed in Chicago. This plotline is fervently repeated during the series. From season three, he introduces himself to many by saying, I first came to Chicago on a trail of kids of my father, and for reasons of a for which I don't need exploring at this conjuncture, I remained attached to a liaison to the Canadian consul. Marcetio, the original Ray, left the series after the second season. Harry appeared in the first and last post-1997 episodes. His placement was Colin Cullum Keefrenny as Stanley Raymond Colloquitics. Detective who was under orders to personate Vecchio until the real Vecchio was uncovered. Monsignor didn't return to the series finally, in which Vecchio returned to Chicago to break up a weapons struggling ring, eventually run off to Florida with Cope's ex-wife, Stella. Also in the episode, Brendan and his father as ghosts finally solved Brendan's mother's murder, resulting in Fraser Senior's departure. To join his wife. The series ends with Brenton and Cuffset in search of the graves of the Franklin Expedition, immortalised in the Canadian folk song, Northwest Passage, while which Paul Gross sings in the episode. Recurring themes. Brenton, Brenton Fraser, Circo Toko Mountie, Dogged, Polite, 
conspiracy truth law. Series often features this rigid moral code being tested by cynical reality to Chicago life. Being unbelievably polite, Fraser's best known short quotes for thinking kindly, you find yourself in trouble. I underestimated, oh dear, which face with contrary circumstances from other characters. And all one, all knowing and epilectical stated, understood. More unusual is a psychopathic knowledge of tribute to his grandparents, having been Lorraine's and to a range of uncanny steals abilities. They included ability to sniff and lick and views refuse from the streets to gain clues from crimes, way that he could fall into a dumpster, or the other ways he could emerge completely spotless, unwrinkled. The way many women he encounters fall badly in love with him, including his boss, Margaret Meg Thatcher, and Sarah's sister, Francesca, a fact he rarely purchases, pursues any of the offers of the ladies ascended to him. Is part of his charm. The story, the show, always falls somewhere in between a cop show, comedy show. Although specifically following the police drama format, comedy drives the outrageous plots, self-deprecating Canadian and assertive American stereotypes, and occasional fantasy elements such as the regular visits paid and mounted by his father's ghost, which in whose advice. That is, between helpful and absurdly useless. The tone of the show, as much as the comedy, is derived from Fraser's supernormal detective ability. For example, one episode, Fraser tracks down a suspect by smelling the breath of a rat to determine the brand of barbecue ribs he'd been eating. Another gag, when Conan gags Fraser, standing guard, motionlessly in front of the Canadian consort. A passerby's attempt to make him move or speak. Among other themes of, of records and companies growing annoyance, the phrase is undoubtedly style, Reco's fondness for the 1922 book Rivera, which he owns free. The first two have been blown up during the early seasons. Pines often correctly referred to as the 1971 model. During season one, prior to his first appearance, his father's ghost. Fraser was often seen reading from one of the senior Fraser's journals, using a passage with some reverence to the plot of the episode. Hi, and this has been the whole Zoom Art Podcast Show. I've been talking about the TV series, Juice Out. Podcast show presenting one of the most popular interviews he did whilst doing his Mark Anthony Rains Presents blog. And this is about Cum Cushion. C A M C U S S I O N. What inspires your music? Call audio clips, movies, or documentaries often inspire my tracks. Social and enjoyable. On, on my forthcoming LP, inspired by Stanley Kubrick's Path of Glory, who speaks on for Earth, on my death, D-E-T-U-N-D LP, inspired by a clip from Carl Sagan's Cosmos. I, 
I had David Fincher, the game, on my mind lately. I'll probably channel that that film in my next track. Occasionally, dreams influence my music. Two, in the wake of a bird, snowbird comes from a crazy dream I had about a plane crash in Detroit River. Orderly music that is simply, simplistically, yet extremely technical, always excites me, like A-U-T-E-C-H-R-E, or Plastic Man, P-L-A-S-I-K-M-A-N. What would you like, who would you like to record with past or present? I really want to record some jazz musicians. I would enjoy, would it be amazing to record with rich trumpet tones from Mark Davis. Miles Davis. I usually record only myself, but I do enjoy co-producing tracks with friends because it always suggests or perform something I wouldn't have and increasingly happy in accidents. My co-produced EP comes live with us on Crystal Vortex Records. It's a good example of this. It was made on a fun day with my friend Egerman, E-G-E-M-E-N. I also hooked up with a collective of symphon gear heads who, met, who meet monthly to record. These jams sounds fantastic. A very drum machine oriented. Although I, I play guitar, I don't play keys very well. So it's always nice to pair up with a synth but people or multi instrumentalists. Where can people purchase your music? My music is available for purchase on iTunes, the Bandcamp, and for streaming on Spotify. I also have a couple of free book podcasts available from G Coin Underground and mixes or, or shows are featured on are always available, Mixcloud and Soundcloud, etc. A short bio uh, and a free song, please. Cameron Doug, also an AKA Concussion, an electronic music artist and DJ from Windsor, Ontario, Canada. He tracks for abstract electronica and bouts acid jazz. Techno, drum and bass, minimal, acid house. Again with a boss. Dot dot dr, stroke one oh oh and drum machine, a cold organ. I found on the side of the road. My studio at the first was seriously bad, but I have fun. I remember being excited and getting a tr dash five oh five because I have. Because I have. 16 drum sounds, concussion, grew up in a musically inclined family and plays, has played drums, trumpet, guitar, piano and keys to some degree. He currently utilising turntables, drum machines, simps, DLWs, IOS's applications to produce his tracks. It's awesome to see the explosion, music going making apps for iPad. I can write the bones of the entire track everywhere. Large portions of it label me insane and freak freaky track F E R F R E T E K are written outside the apartment. It's full length album, the full the pieces matter. 
is on Detroit Underground. The tracks range from acid techno to drum bass, a more abundant abstract IDM. The album also features the fantastic artwork of French designer Genevieve, G-E-N-E-V-I-E-E-V-E, Guchka, G-A-U-C-K-E-R. Friend of Detroit Underworld, Kino de Kosshashen is also co-host at Kolof FM with The Neighbor on CJ Jazz FM in Windsor in Detroit for approximately five years, along with two LPs of Crystal Vortex, Concussion currently working release of the social of a local museum of skin and will include full coming, coming confirmation of section twenty seven out of Scotland. You can find Concussion DJing playing live sets around his hometown and occasional appearance in Detroit. His next set will be that you can check out on Facebook. Places you can find his music. Soundcloud.com.concussion C-A-M-C-U-S-S-I-O-N www.mixcloud.com.concussion www.facebook.com DJ Concussion www.instagram.com Concussion www.twitter.com Concussion Links to DJ's album HTTPS dash dash defund dash bandcamp.com dash album all the pieces matter HSS HTPS dash dash Open Spotify dot com slash album slash two eight small p w a x capitals u small letter h m y seven seven k x small letter f u small n capital h s h t p s dash dash iTunes Apple dot com dash C G B dash album dash all the pieces matter nine nine two seven oh five oh three three seven free release EPs HTPS dash dash www dot crystal vortex dot CA release HMM L question mark release equal C V R O two two H T T T P S dash dash W dot Crystal Vortex dot C A dash release dot H T M L question mark release equal C V R O five combination appearances H T T P S dash dash defund dot bandcamp dot com dash track dash w dash duck https section twenty seven dot bandcamp dot com dash track dash fit fit track 
https dash dash museum of skin dash dot sorry but bandcamp dot com dash track dash concussion urban nightmare mixes https player fm dash series dash detroit dash underground dash podcast dash concussions dash inferno https play fm series detroit underground podcast concussion dash country dash finals https itunes apples dot com dash ta dash ca podcast dash detroit underground podcast dash id three seven nine Nine three eight five nine one question mark small letter m small letter t equal two last one https soundcloud dot com dash dj dot radio dot win ecstasy dash concussion dot techno dot idm mix dot d j w e c w c d j w e episod dash three dash o three this is Hosey Mark Podcast Show and I've been talking about concussion Podcast Show presents an interview with Cyberilla Mito Simeric M R M Y R T O S I M I C a UX and UI designer, illustrator, painter in a spare time. She's from Greece and she makes monsters. How did you get interested in digital art and making crazy monsters? Mato, it all started when, in the early years of Greece, at the comedy crisis, a bunch of friends formed a mobile apps development design collective called Tarantolia, T-A-R-E-N-T-O-L-A. We designed many educational games for children, but it seemed that adults also loved playing our games at a time of designing a bunch of mirrorless minimalistic 3D Tatashi Marari like birds for a mobile game called Make 24 and you know what happens when you start creating right you cannot stop so use these birdies along with animals other animals to create a series of illustrations where where they interact in the 3D world, much like humans do, in an unpublished form, a free illustrated ebook. So I started experimenting further with 3D modeling in order to create a comic series involving creatures' stories. These creatures turned out to be bunny like and octopus like cute, chubby monsters. Are your monsters? 
Humans is often part of the very normal street scene or activity. How do you decide the setting that setting in each place? Moto. First of all, the general concept was to place a creature in photos. I, I took during my visits to my friends and family abroad. The notion behind that was that monsters are trying to rule the world. They're everywhere in Paris, Britain, Greece, etc. They f- fail miserably because they become quite cosy in it, with this world. So they visit museums, even when they look creepy and eerie, enjoy long walks and going on summer vacations, much like humans do. Whilst well, sometimes their world integrates rather than merges with our own, the content of the photo led to the story behind the illustration. Nowadays, I simply took an, an urban landscape photo just because I knew like, a great story with monsters will spring from this image. Along with the making wonderful 3D creatures, you work on your web and mobile design. Do you plan to stick with digital art or the other main mediums you would like you want to try? Moto, let's face it, digital art is ephemeral. It involves an artist's virtues like creativity and inspiration. It does not display the artist's soul because the medium gives infernal or almost realistic results. Computer software from a photo manipulation to a 3D program cannot bring a soul to a plastic 3D ish object or character. A soul is defined by the flaws and accents of human interaction with acrylics and tempers, the canvas or the marble. Analog art like painting, sculpting, or etc. bring the fire forward. It's possibly the reason why. Those arts or timers I used to paint with egg timers, timers and acrylics right after I graduated from arts college here in Athens, which was like 20 years ago. And the last couple of months I started painting again, learning how more techniques. Okay, a student again, and it almost feels like I will probably be a student all my life. What inspired you, and where did you get your inspiration? Mito. There are so many creatures that inspire me from Trescoraka Maka to Mr. Cat to Aaron Mazizi to Tuku Baku to Chocotai, Jan Collis Paz. But I reckon the source of inspiration is not from browsing some web galleries, but actually everyday life. From visiting museums and galleries to walk in a park from a bicycle ride from my, with my husband to an unexpected afternoon near the sea watching them sunrise. Very simple, and everyday moments can inspire unique stories. What are your favourite design tools or software to work with? Moto. I mainly use mainly 3D programs like Food and C4D to model, render and create ecosystems. I use photo manipulation software like Photoshop to use illusion and realism in the photo frame and integrate a digital camera in it. Do you have a favourite place, Moto? Yep, it's an old illustration I made during anti-asterity manifestations in Athens, which had perpetrated as a civil citizen Juno activist. Those days are very intense in the centre of the city, 
Riot police were everywhere. Police brutally brutality also everywhere every march. Even the peaceful ones. I was taking a photo of the Riot Police squad from behind while walking towards Propylia into the area where later on clashes occurred. That was the perfect space to get Adam Munster to bit a panic attack that you, you that hits you right after you unit old tick tick tear gas. The illusion is not is really not it's not a reminder of those times continuous manifestations. It depicts my inner feelings during this season of non of non ending tear gassing and unreasonable police violence. What are your thoughts on social media and helps you hurt artists today? Specifically, can you share your thoughts on Elo? Murto, social media is supposed to a multi-tool tool such as Swiss Army, Army Knife. It can either be a medium of promote, it can either be a medium to promote your work, or microblogging program, a cyber activism social tool, a way to exchange and spare shares public share publicity and most definitely a way to spread news seconds after the event but if uh, there is but is a people that give character to the medium so it is in my honest opinion a creator that thinks that twitter or favor sacks is probably not the tool's fault but how people use it in like it's like 2001 space oddity where oh it's going bonkers but while it's not Hull's fault, it's human's fault. How is a tool that's programmed by form a job? But humans never tested her in space. Never saw how an AI entity will perform in space and know the rest of the story. As an artist, I reckon that social media can become a window of inspiration. Artists usually interrupt, interpret emotions stronger and differently from the rest of the world. So... Uh, the, so the refugees crisis that are happening in Greece, or David Bowie's death, or even David Trump, Donald Trump's absurd rising from political to social to everywhere in life, it, to aspire and create social media pretty fine tools to get that source of information. Tell us a little bit more about you. Me too. Well, I was unemployed for more than eight months now. Do you know how many employed with many 18-year-olds experience, one BA and two MA degrees? Well, here in Greece, lots of us like that, labelled as overqualified, because companies prefer to hire a junior designer and pay him or her 400 euro per month, sometimes less, to getting a senior designer with much more experience. I also went like uh, my many friends and acquaintances, into the depressive stage. Thankfully, they didn't get their last long, and currently I'm living for the moment, because, serious guys, you know, there's no second life. This is it. This is the whole Zoomart podcast show, and you've been listening to an interview with, about me, with Cyberella. By his self-interest by Skylizer, like... A first lieutenant deflates his metal, fending off insurgents 
at Dover Air Force Base in Dover, Delaware. Pickup trucks by a dozen bombard the gates. Personal guarding these premises filled by gunfire and rocket-propelled grenade attacks. Barriers moved out of the way of the trucks once the men employed a special machine to separate the instructions and hydraulic rescue tools. The flow of enemy personnel swarmed the base like wasps. The Dover Air Force Base in Dover, Delaware, base for attack by foreign aggressors. This night in April called the best men and women in action in uniform to action. In the Air Force barricades, the airmen could hear the commotion just a few hundred miles away. The Marines and an outpost to the base heard the noise too. The outpost actually, the outpost actually would be put to use in this case. All these certified riflemen, equipped with weapons, who would dare threaten the lives of the Marines, airmen, Lawrence Corporal Quattro Coles, looked up from his tablet. He hopped off his track rack and left his room, brushing. He headed straight to an army where the other Marines found their rifles. What the hell is it, this sergeant, Staff Sergeant Coles asked. We've got heat coming from the main entrance. Two airmen, old confirmed dead, We're going to be facing hundreds of casualties. We don't act fast, Staff Sergeant Penny Grove said. She grabbed her weapon and started running towards the blast. Coles seized his rifle and followed her. Corporal Ronald Vizes and Sergeant Field Dinkins all charged the air as a cover while rounds whisked through the air. Sergeant Dinkins yelled at Fresca, Get over to the cement structure. I'll lay fire, cover, down cover fire. Coles had to think. Sergeant Dinkins lay badly wounded in left leg and Corporal Vizes had been shot in the arm. Star Sergeant Groves was hit in Tulso, but it had just been a flesh wound, only because he was still laying down on fire. He thought about running to help the two injured marines, but he had to calculate the proper timings between bursts of gunfire and ability to grab the corpsman and run with him. Eric of Doc of Jin teamed up with Coles. Look, Coles said, according to the data from the, these smart rifles, Sergeant Dinkins seems to be the worst shape. You're going to run with me to address the sergeant's needs. Then we'll see about Vences. You're bleeding, Dodgian said. What? Coles looked down his chest and saw trickles of blood glittering in the night. I've got that patched up before we go anywhere, Yin said. Just a flesh wound. It, it's like the sergeant. Let's move, Coles said. The officer's club let out the accompanying them. More sergeants survived. Smart rifles did it. To his superiors, First Lieutenant Wayne Sweeney became the first Marine officer to reach Barracks Armory. He picked up the pistol and rifle, headed towards the banging and clanging. He reached where Coles and Doc Ginn had found good cover. The enemy still advanced. Sir, we've got to get to those three Marines. Been hit. You don't look so. You don't look so untouched yourself, Lord Scarborough. Sweeney said. I tried to tell him. Doc Ginn said. Sweeney grinned. All right, God damn it. You and Doc stay here. I'm going to bring some order to this madness. Yes, sir, Cole said. First lieutenant paced. You could see, though, there remained one position so that not received any fire on the base, the hospital. He made a mental note of where the Marines, under his command, would go to suppress the opposition. He trained his sights on the assailant 
encroaching near the space. I dispatched him with one shot to the head. Let's go, gone down it, when he said. First the turn and last corporal, the corpsman, all got up from their positions and journeyed over to the wounded Dinkins. Doc opened his kit. You've got to hold still, Doc, Yen said. Dinkins grimaced. He held his breath. Breathe, Yen said. Dinkins pushed out air. Doc cleaned and dressed the sergeant's wounds. That's better. You survive. We're going to have to get you to the hospital with speed, Doc Yen said. Lieutenant Sweeney clutched his side pistol. All right, you two, make a quick cut to where Fraser is. is. Get to the hospital. Coles and I are going to get to where Sergeant Star Sergeant Groves is. She's still laying down fire. Bless her mind. Sir, we're going to need mortal men. Grenades, a saw out there. They're going, coming in quickly. We've got to stop the advance. I'm aware of that, son. We're go- going to do this swift and clean. Doc, Sergeant, move. Cole, stay with me. Cole, stay with me. Lieutenant and Lance Corporal both found another form of cover, a car. You sh- shouldn't let the doc dress your wound. Marine, so when he said, Cole smiled. I've been hit with worse before. It's just a flesh wound, I know. What does that your smart rifle say? It means there are about 40 enemies. They're moving closer. We've got Marines and airmen both overwearing them. We're a constant force. About eight, 300 Marines and 900 airmen, sir. Sweeney switched back to his pistol and made the adjustments we found. He could fire night vision supplied by the objects on his firearm. He grinned. Emmy, that's many for the Air Force, sir. Who said Air Force couldn't shoot, men couldn't shoot? Lance Corporal Carl Coles gave out a small chuckle, but left, felt the pain of grazed round. Doc's over there, helping Van Zes at Neil. Looks like Sergeant Dinkins now going to continue. Let's join the advance out there, Marine. Yes, sir. The officer enlisted Marine. Push buttons on a smart pistol and a smart rifle, and they spent lead down range and carbon into the air. Enemies dropped like stocks at the Wilhelmina Stock Exchange, wise in his weak market. Both of them found a rhythm. One would shoot while the other reloaded the magazine, the pistol, or the rifle. Once they came to the place where Penny had battled with just one her own rifle, the two men took a break. It's good to see you, sir, Coles, Penny said, between gulps of air. What did you... What did... Did... Out there is nothing short spectacular. Outstanding, Marine. Thank you, sir. Penny said she looked at the Lance Corporal Coles. Look, like we're gonna. We each took a bullet across our bellies. Yes, South Sergeant. Then the insurgent leaped over the barrier. The three Marines had occupied. He shot Sweeney in the arm, and, and the round went through his wrist. Sweeney withdrew his pistol with his other hand and knocked down the fret with one push of a button. You two stay back here and cover me. I'll back with you. I'll be back with you two, both. I'm going to, to, going to do that. A few more of those bastards. Sweeney said. But you got your heart, sir. Cole said. I was fine. You two fall back. You don't know. I was at Amber did you? Star Sergeant and Last Corporal looked on, surprised at their officer. He reached a pulpit along one of the ministry buildings. He switched his rifle by way of info- information screen. He could detect the remained five different insurgents slivering up near him. 
position between the barrier allowed him to lay down at exactly the precise time he popped up and dropped rounds on all of them. Our bodies slumped. Sweeney removed himself from the barrier and found more air in the marines. Blood tickled in their wound as he found more cover. He would blast every single enemy with expert rifle skills. The smart rifle just aided in data. The mobility of the weapon provided to be a boost in this desperate hour. Sweeney met up with the Air Force officer, Captain Gala Gore, as he fired away at the insurgents. Ma'am, it's nice to see you're here. I got two Marines a few yards back, and they would love to seek more some further medical attention. They've been fighting all night like restless. Let's, let's say we knock out these last remaining vermin and get back to them, okay? It's on your word now, Lieutenant. I think we're going to need a corpsman, Carlos said. Think nothing of it, Taylor took off his blouse, cut off his sections of it and wrapped them around the affected arm and wrists. The two became like owls screeching with their rifles through the torrent rounds, going every which way. The cover reminded significant so that it stayed behind a barrier for a good 40 minutes. They saw an injured airman. Eleven to be sat, a Brady onslaught, a hot lead, and rescued the U.S. surface from the dangers. They formed a train of bodies that helped to bring the men and women in United States uniform to the base hotel hospital. Whilst when he dragged a train of service members, Gala offered the brilliance of her rifles. As advance subsided, there remained even more reeds and airmen who had caught some bad ones during the fight. Some had perished, and while others lingered. So the chain consisted of 21 live service members. Sweeney struggled with the weight. His god arm allowed him to continue with the train. He, he built up false, and the others were less wounded, struggled right along with Sweeney. A firing finally ceased. A quiet that hung in the air made a spookless for the chain of bodies and minds linked together in a pain anguish, sentiments of relief. A cheer rose up from around the base. Bodies lay about the base and our fire burns, but the worst seemed to be over for the Marines and Airmen of the Dover Air Force Base. The hospital again inundated with wounded also proceeded processed the dead. Dr. Yin worked on two personal personnel one sometimes. The officers' surgeons found new ways to stitch up and hail mangled bodies and dress their minds of the injured for all the commotion that had lasted Throughout the night, this platoon of health had been left untouched by a single round or grenade. Lieutenant Sweeney sat on a chair while the doctor turned his arm. You know you're lucky that we that it, that it just went in and out, Lieutenant, said Major Herbert Downing. I say it was fortunate, sir, Sweeney said. The doctor smiled. Sergeant Dinkins received care for his leg. I was laughing with Corporal Rangers, who stretched out his arm to allow the doctor to heal it. Sergeant, Staff Sergeant Groves stood outside of the hospital with his cigarette, pushing the vapour to the fading night sky. Once things had become relatively normal again, tension at the base became, between him and the Marines eased. There became about a sense of camaraderie, renewed respect amongst the two branches. When it came time for a to be announced of barracks to be given individually, Colonel Swe- Captain Sweeney, Sergeant Penny Groves, Sergeant Dinkins, Corporal Vendres, and Lance Corporal Corporal Coles all received a verbal heart. 
Also, Captain Garlia Gore earned the Air Force Cross and Silver Staff Medal. Staff Sergeant Gross received the Navy Cross and Lance Corporal Goals received a Bronze Star Medal. Kirkton Sweeney's name became listed the Laureate, a Medal of Honor. For his heroics that night, Sweeney will be the first recipient of the upcoded code for citations. On it, he found that he selfishly boldly fended off enemy fire while also saving the lives of 25 Marines. Airmen, despite being injured himself, First Lieutenant Sweeney fought valiantly. His, his might and presence of mind produced a gallant display, despite his fellow Marines as well as airmen, showed bravery also. His actions confirmed his boldness and efficiency of the human mind under dress with interpretary coolness and egotism. First Lieutenant Sweeney reflected, employed intelligence and valor under extreme circumstances. In metal, permitted permitted the lives of Marines and airmen to continue. He braved the enemy's advance even when fighting was its worst. His self-interest regarding his fellow service members, he was granted the nation's highest military award and reflected upon himself and the highest traditions of the military corps and the United States Naval Service. Sweeney accepted the citation and it was, it was well within his mind. This is for you've been listening to the Horse Art podcast show, and I've been talking, reading from Foy, His Self Interest by Skylight. Hi, welcome to the Holes of Mark podcast show. And today I'm reading extracts from David Walliam's new book called Fling. With illustrations by Tony Ross, it's published by Harper Collins Children's Books, available on from the twenty-first of February, twenty nineteen. Price twelve ninety-nine. Hardback. This story of a child. This is a story of a child who had everything, but still wanted one more thing. Sometimes, perfectly nice parents have children and monsters. Meet the Meeks. This is father, Mr. Morris Meek. His name suggests Mr. Meek is a mild-mannered man. He likes to wear socks with his sandals and would not dare to eat a peach in public. Mr. Meek works as a librarian. He loves libraries as they are quiet like him. This is a man who wouldn't say boo to a goose or indeed any species of bird. This is mother, Mrs. Merriweth Meek. She wears her glasses on a chain around her neck. The most embarrassing mo- moment of her life was when she once sneezed on the bus and some everybody turned around and looked. It's not surprise you to learn that she's also a librarian. Meredith met Morris at the library. They were both painfully shy, so they never spoke a word to each other for the first ten years of working there. Eventually, across the poetry arm, Morris and Meredith fell in love. Some years later, they were married, and some years after that, they had a baby girl. This is their, this is their baby. This is their daughter, Myrtle. You might be thinking that nothing could be sweeter than a ba- little baby girl. Wrong. For the moment she was born, Myrtle was an absolute horror. Whenever she was given dummies, cuddly doys, rubber duckies, the baby demanded more. 
Myrtle's first ever word was more. She was uttered it every day she was born. It was more, it was more milk. Baby Myrtle was demanding, even though she was already guzzled a gallon. More was what the words the infant would say over and over again. More, more, more. Being meat by name and meat by nature, Morris and Meredith didn't dare stand up to their monster of a child. Whatever Baby Myrtle wanted, Baby Myrtle got. Her parents bought her baby daughter toys and toys and more, more toys, even though she would instantly smash them to bits. Bish, bish, bosh. More, more, more. As a toddler, they gave her the daughter crowns and, cr- and crowns and more crowns. Myrtle would use them to score all over the walls. Scratch. Before snapping them in two. Snap. More, more, more. As she grew bigger and bigger, still Mr. and Mrs. Meat would feed Myrtle chocolate biscuits after chocolate biscuit after chocolate biscuit. More and more and more. Even though Myrtle took, would take great delight in spitting the crumbs back in their faces. Blah. More, more, more. The years passed. Mrs. and Mrs. Meek secretly hoped their daughter was just going for a phase. But this phase was not one that she ever grew out of. In fact, Myrtle's behaviour became worse and worse over the years. The nasty naughties turned into the outrageous ones. They followed by the terrible twos and the tremendous threes, fearsome fours, frightful fives. Came the, came the sickening sixes and spiteful sevens. Then there were the gracious eights and the noisy nines. Oh my word, they were noisy. Now nine, Myrtle would wake up her parents every morning by howling, Wah, wah, I want a teddy bear. Wah, wah, I want a pony. Wah, wah, I want a suitcase full of money. The girl would make such a din that little meek family house would actually shake, rattle. Books would fly off the shelves, whoosh, wonk. Pictures would fall off the walls, tonk, shatter. Plaster would shower down from the ceiling, crumble, dunk. Poor Mr. and Mrs. Meek would be held out of bed, doof, doof. They would scramble on their feet and immediately ran around doing their daughter's bidding. They gave Myrtle everything. But everything was never, never enough. Oh no, the girl wanted one more thing.